Please take your Bibles and open to Luke 16 this morning. Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. I have in my mind this morning a picture. I've had this picture in my mind frequently. It is a little videotape that I replay in my mind. It's a videotape from many years ago when my oldest son was baptized. I've watched it over and over again, and in my memory, I've watched it many more times. He was standing in the baptistry, and I I told him his name is Kyle. I said, Kyle, when you get baptized, I want you to give your testimony first. And a dutiful little firstborn child, you know, he, he gave a beautiful little testimony. He, here's what he said. It's almost a direct quote. He, he stood in the baptistry and his little hands were playing in the water and he was nervous. He said, I, um, I want to be uh, baptized today um, because my, my dad, um, he told me that if I didn't get saved, I was going to burn in hell and I didn't want to burn. Um, so I got saved. And now I want to follow the Lord in baptism. So so to cut through the red tape today, um, I don't want any of you to burn in hell. I don't want anybody that you know and love to burn in hell. But we just don't talk about that very much. We, we go to church, we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about Jesus who talked about hell, but we don't talk about hell. Have you ever noticed that? We have fanciful explanations of why hell isn't really as bad as it looks like it is in the Bible. We're a little apologetic about hell. We, we leave it to later. We don't really front load our gospel presentations with descriptions of hell. America's different than it used to be. There was a time when preachers in America preached on hell, like Jonathan Edwards. He was famous for a sermon he called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Very politically incorrect. What did... Is there a hell? Is there, is there a hell like... Can we take the, what the Bible says about hell at face value? Is there a place... Is it a cruel thing to tell a child that if he grows up and rejects Christ, that he will go to hell? Luke chapter 16, these letters are read in my Bible. This is a story that Jesus told. I believe a true story that Jesus told, not a parable, but a story. He used a proper noun for a name in the story and gave concrete detail and it coincides with literal truth given elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus told this story in Luke 16 and verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and and licked his sores. And so it was the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off 
and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted and you are are tormented. Now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us, you between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who would want to pass from here to you cannot nor can those from there pass to us then he said i beg you therefore father that you would send him to my father's house for i have five brothers i have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. They will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, to be faithful to you today in these few moments. Faithful to you, Lord. Faithful to your word and to give the emphasis that you would give to this passage and to have the proper sobriety And the proper thoughtfulness that would attend thoughts about hell and eternal punishment and eternal conscious torment in hell. I pray do the good that will come when we give honor and humble ourselves before your word. And I pray, Lord, draw into Christ sinners today, lost ones that are here listening to this message on hell after in a, in a, in a, in a few minutes, they will, would never be able to say they didn't know they weren't warned. And so I pray that they would flee to Christ. I pray for Christians that are here. God, forgive us for a cavalier, casual, half-hearted, uh, condescending, apologetic way in which we have treated this subject. God, forgive us that we have not been thoughtful, circumspect, sober. Stir us up, I pray. Stir us up, I pray, that we would... Call to all of our brothers while we're still alive, God. And warn them about what you have said in your word. And make missionaries of us, I pray. I pray for young ones that are here in our service today that would one day maybe go to the world and stray from the faith and from their mother's teaching and from their father's example. God, I pray, put the fear of God in their heart, even in this message today, that they would always think of the judgment of hell and the sad sadness of being separated from Jesus, Lord. So help them, I pray, even now. Stir and work, I pray, this morning during this message. Change people's lives, I pray, in Jesus' name. My question today is, 
Is there really a hell? And my answer is yes, there is. And I want to give you three reasons why I believe. First, because the Bible teaches there is a hell. The Bible teaches there is a hell. Obviously, I just read a story that Jesus told. It's obvious that Jesus taught this. And throughout the Bible, if we were just to take the book of Matthew alone and just read, only reads you from the book of Matthew, just what one book of the Bible says about hell, Matthew 5, 22. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. Matthew 5.30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. Matthew 10.28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him. Fear Him. Fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear Him. He's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is the teaching of the Bible. Matthew eleven twenty three. 23. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom... It would have remained until this day. And by the way, that word Hades, we have Hades, we have different renderings of different words in the Bible for hell. And this is what God does when He's very serious about something and there's some different, there, there, there are different words that describe hell. And there are stages, if you will, and we're not going to go into detail about that today. But that's an explanation for different words for hell. Matthew 18 and verse 9, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. What trouble we get ourselves into with our eyes. Would it be better not to have eyes and go to heaven and to see things that will take us to hell? It's what the Bible teaches. I'm just telling you, I believe in hell because the Bible clearly teaches hell is a real place. Matthew 23, 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. This is not to religious people. You travel the land. These are missionaries. And, and see to win one proselyte. And when he's one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? This is not seeker sensitive. My question to you is, how do you govern your life? Your sentiments, your feelings, what seems right and fair to you, or this book? The Christianity I grew up with was the Christianity of this book. I was just taught, it's in the book. We believe that. We trust that. I've looked around the world. I'm not old. I'm old enough to look around the world and see that was a superior teaching that I got. The teaching that my parents gave me that you follow this book, you believe this book, literally. You trust this book. You govern your life by this book. That's a good thing. That's a good teaching. I've seen other people do other things. It's not good. That's not why it's true. 
But what happens when, we, when our sentiments kind of, kind of cross the teaching of the Bible, our feelings about things kind of cross the clear teaching of the Bible? We have to decide whether we're going to believe and trust our sentiments, our feelings, our sense of fairness, or God's Word. And we've got to remember, we all have to remember that our sense of fairness is... It's affected by the people we live with, by the television programs we watch, by the books we read, by our culture. We live in a Christ-denying, rebellious culture that cannot imagine that God is who He says He is. And even the church is affected by that. The evangelical church is now cranking out books as fast as they can. They're cranking out songs as fast as they can that are dumbing down and selling out Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a God of love. Jesus Christ is a God of grace. But He is not a God of love and He is not a God of grace if He is not a God of wrath and if He is not a God of justice and if He is not a God of righteousness, then He is not God. He's a perversion of God. He's not the God of the Bible, but He's an idol. And people who follow idols will come to doom even if they call themselves religious. And so we have to say, what I believe, I believe because the Bible says it, not because it feels good to me or because it seems right to me. A preacher who is very observant once observed this. There's a deep-seated unbelief among Christians just now. There's a deep-seated unbelief among Christians just now, he said, about the eternity of future punishment. It is not outspoken in many cases, but it is whispered, and it frequently assumes the shape of the spirit of benevolent desire that the doctrine may be disproved. I fear that at the bottom of this, there is a rebellion against the dread sovereignty of God. This pastor was observing, he said, it's, it's like people don't want to believe in hell anymore, and I think it's because they're rebels in their heart. This is, this is, that was his idea. There is a suspicion that sin is not, after all, so bad a thing as we have dreamed. There is an apology or a lurking wish to apologize for sinners who are looked upon rather as objects of pity than as objects of indignation and really deserving the punishment that they have willfully brought upon themselves. I am afraid that it's the old nature in us putting in on the deceptive garb of charity which leads us to discredit a fact which is as certain as the happiness of believers. This pastor was saying that we have sentiments that go against God's word, but they really are rooted in our rebellion and that hell is as real as heaven. And that preacher was Charles Spurgeon. It was a couple of years ago. Why do I believe that there is a hell? Because that's what the Bible says. And if I say there is no hell, I discard the Bible that teaches me about heaven. And if I say there is no hell, then I discard the book that teaches me about my Savior. And I am without hope and without God in the world. And I am still in my sins. I must believe that God's Word is all true and that everything that Jesus said is true. Jesus taught there is a hell. The scriptures that I read to you just now, they all came from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus is the word. Jesus taught repeatedly about hell. He taught repeatedly about judgment. That shows that he has mercy because he knew there was a hell. Therefore, he frequently taught people about hell because he's so loving and because he's so merciful and because he intended to die to make a place for people to escape hell and to go to heaven. 
I think about this. I thank God for churches that preach about hell. Some people would never be saved if their churches did not preach about hell. Not far from here, not long ago, 13-year-old girl raised in an alcoholic's home, drawn to church by somebody who loved her and made to watch this horrible film called The Burning Hell. But that night, that girl, that 13-year-old girl, my wife, went forward and fell upon Christ. Her life was changed. I have a Christian wife and Christian kids because those old hillbillies people didn't know any better than just to preach that hell is a real place where people will suffer. And that little 13-year-old girl didn't know any better than to just take her sins and throw them on Jesus and be afraid of hell and escape hell. And my wife gives me advice all the time about preaching. She says, you need to make people scared more. She tells me that all the time. And this, this week, as I've studied this, I've felt a sense of repentance in my heart. God, I'm sorry if I have not given the right emphasis to your word. Because when Jesus spoke, he knew there was a hell. And so he said it with tears in his eyes. The one who wept over Jerusalem, the one who healed people, the one who loved little children and said, bring the little children to me, said, don't ever let them go to hell. I will hold you accountable if you are responsible for them growing up and not knowing me. Jesus taught there was a hell. The Bible teaches there is a hell. Interestingly enough, there are many, many people who call themselves Christians, who write books, who even consider themselves evangelical, who are gaining a popular following among evangelical churches who will doubt there is a hell, or they will kind of buffer all of the teaching about hell. Regardless of all that we have in Christian history and in the Bible that teaches about what hell is like, they are rewriting, they're softening the, the, the blow, they're rewriting hell. It is not going to be good because the best thing that can happen to a person is that they would fear falling into the hands of a living God who is a consuming fire. The best thing that people could ever do is to turn in repentance because they are afraid of going to hell and they are afraid of missing the glories of heaven. It's interesting that these people who write these books often want to retain Jesus and reject what Jesus said about hell. But that cannot be done. These very same people want to... Many of them are pastors, preachers, teachers. They want to talk about Jesus. But they have kind of made up their own Jesus. He said, not the Jesus of the Bible. This is important that we understand. The Jesus of the Bible... He warned people so frequently about hell. He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Listen, all but one of the letters of the Apostle Paul mentioned the wrath or the judgment of God on sin. And of the 12 uses of the word Gehenna, the strongest word in the New Testament on hell, in the New Testament, 11 of those come from the lips of Jesus himself. In fact, the Savior taught more about hell than he talked about heaven. Of the more than 1,850 verses recording the words of Christ, 13% pertain to topics of judgment and hell. Of the 40 or so parables uttered by Jesus, more than half relate to God's eternal judgment on sin. John MacArthur said this, Our Lord often spoke about hell. He said many things about the abode of the wicked. Perhaps the most terrifying thing Jesus ever said about hell was what he said to the Jewish religious leaders in Matthew 23, 33. How can you escape the condemnation of hell. Do you realize it was in the Sermon on the Mount that these people that want to reject the, the, the Jesus of the Bible and want to retain the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount, but it was in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus frequently warned about the reality of hell. It was there that he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, unless you have a different kind of spirituality than that, the best religious guys that we know, you will in no case enter the kingdom of heaven, which is a positive way of saying you're going to hell. 
unless you have a religion that's, that's purer and truer and righter than that, than that religion of the Pharisees, then you will not go to heaven. That's what Jesus said. It seems strange for us to hear. I'm back to MacArthur's quote. It seems strange for us to hear words like that coming from the mouth of the Lord Jesus because we don't associate him with hell as often as we should. He talked more about hell than he did about love. He said more about hell than all the other preachers in the Bible combined. If we were to model our preaching after Jesus, then hell would be a major theme for preachers. I went to a church one night. That this church is trying hard to reach lost people. For that, I am very grateful. They preached on hell. I was a little surprised. The pastor announced that he was going to talk about hell. He preached about hell for about 40 minutes. A nice guy who I know is concerned about lost people. He never mentioned the word fire in the entire message. What he said was true. What he said was good. I hope what he said worked, you know, that it would draw people to faith. And as we drove home, my boys were kind of analyzing that. And I said, I, I don't know that he, but he didn't preach about hell like Jesus preached about hell. Because if you think about it, if there is a hell fire, if there's a place of torment, however that is to be understood, a place of literal conscious torment, the Bible clearly does teach that. If that really is true and we get a glimpse of it, how can we not say that to people? How can we not say that to people? How can we preach and not say that to people? Luke 16, 19 through 30, this story that I just read, I wanted to make some observations. Jesus warned people that hell is irreversible and that suffering is, there's, a, there's an irreversible suffering and conscious torment in hell. That's what uh, Luke 16, 23, listen to this. In verse 23, being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. Jesus warned people not to make their final judgments prematurely. Don't judge before death. You don't really know who's winning, who's losing, who's successful, who's not successful. You don't really know who's saved and who isn't saved for sure until death. You say you can't know that you're born. Yes, you can know that you're born again. But there are false professors and there are false professors in the room. There are people who are confused today that they think because they said they believe and somebody put their name on a card that they're born again, but the life of God is not in them. They're more interested in the world. They're more interested in partying. They're more interested in the things of the world. They're more interested in money. They're more interested in their name than they are in Jesus' name. I warn you, if that's true about you, it would be like being inoculated to be here and hear the wonderful choir and hear the preaching and open your Bible, but to be outside of Christ, to have a taste of heaven on earth and then to go to hell. What a terrible thing. You want to make sure that you have the kind of life that corresponds with belief in Jesus Christ. Are you really saved today? Do you know it? Are you confident? Because when you look at your life, there's evidence in your life that the life of God is in you. It's unmistakable. When somebody really gets saved, you can kind of see that. They got a hunger for God, a hunger for the things of God. I'm not talking here about so many who are kind of like, um, they're, they're kind of enculturated to Christian things. They know all the right stuff. My Uncle Bill, can I tell you about my Uncle Bill? For years, he could have preached the gospel. He heard the gospel so much, he could have preached the gospel. When you try to witness to him, he would say, stop, let me tell you what, I, what, let me tell you what you're going to say. And then he would just parrot it right back. Marlene, my Aunt Marlene, who's in heaven now, she would drag him to church, you know. And he, I preached one time, he's just sitting out, great guy, you got to love him. He's my uncle, but he was lost. One day, after Marlene had breast cancer and died, he made his way back to the church they went to together. And, and Pastor Carter was preaching. Just a little tiny church there in Newark on the rough side of town. Not too many people there. Not the slickest church you ever saw. 
pastor gave an invitation. Uncle Bill went weeping forward, and his life changed. Amen. It changed from like, I knew stuff, to I believe this. The guy's going all over the country telling everybody he knows about the Lord. I was in Tennessee one day, and, it, and I passed this guy. My kids go, hey, that's your Uncle Bill. I almost wrecked the car pulling off the road. I'm like, Uncle Bill, what are you doing here? He says, we're going from campground to campground to tell people about Jesus Christ. My Uncle Bill was the janitor at a church that didn't preach the gospel. And a lady came in to see the pastor one day because she was distraught. Fortunately, the pastor was gone, but the janitor was there who knew Jesus. And so he says, I'm sorry the pastor isn't here, but I can help you. And he knelt down at the altar with this lady, and he led this lady to Jesus Christ. Because when when God gets a hold of your life, and you have, like my family says, a dose of real salvation, then you're going to have a song in your heart. You're going to want to tell everybody that you know. You're going to hate the world. Sin is going to grieve you. Your life is going to change. Can I ask you, has that ever happened to you? I'm not asking if you went forward. I'm not asking if your mama told you you were saved. I'm just saying, is the life of God in you? Do you love Jesus Christ? Is there evidence that you know Jesus Christ? It's such a wonder. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all the questions to the answers that bother you so much could be answered in the word Jesus, that when you got saved, those things would change. It wouldn't be such a wrestling match. You can't make yourself good. You can't stop doing the stuff that you know is wrong. Only Jesus can deliver you from that. It will take a miracle. And when you get to the end of yourself, but one of the things that will push you there is to realize if it doesn't happen and if I die, I go to hell. Jesus warned people not to judge prematurely. Look in verse 14. The Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him. Can you imagine that? These religious guys. Now, go back to uh, Luke 12 and look at verses 1 through 5. Luke 12, 1 through 5. In the meantime, innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you have spoken in the inner, in the ear, in the inner rooms will be proclaimed by the housetops. Does that make anybody here nervous? He says they're hypocrites. They say this, but in private they say that. They, outwardly they do this, but in private they do this. God knows that. God's going to judge the secret things. God knows the secret things. He knows our secret thoughts. Nothing secret to God. You cannot hide from God. You cannot fake God out. He sees and He knows. Since that is true, since God sees and since God knows what God sees and what God knows, and He judges according to what He sees and what He knows, get right with God. Flee from the wrath of God. Jesus Christ warned you that there is a hell. He promised you that there is a heaven. Did you realize there is evangelistic concern in hell? There are tears and prayers in hell. Sometimes you don't have that in churches. But in hell they will be praying. Oh, if you could just send a missionary to my brother. Could you send a soul winner to my brothers? What was the first thing on his mind? This man who was consumed with himself, but when he was in hell, he said, if I can't get out of here, could you please warn my, just warn my brothers? When church is over today and we walk out of here, is that what's going to be beating in our heart? 
I got to get to my brother. I got to get to my brother. I got to get to my sister. I got to get to people who don't know the Lord. I got to tell them, even if they think I'm weird, even if they think I'm odd, it's true. I got to get to them. If that's not the way it is, then we're just kidding ourselves. And we really don't believe there is a hell. We really don't believe there is a heaven. We really don't believe there is a Jesus. If we can't just tell. Guy yesterday, Pete, bumped into this guy. I started witnessing this guy. He's talking to Pete from Great Britain. He was originally from Great Britain. He lives around here now. And we talked for a while and you could tell the lights weren't going on. Pete said, eventually, I don't really believe in God and I don't believe in Jesus. And, I, and, he, said, and, you, and, and he said very kindly, it was a great conversation, but he said, and you'll never convince me otherwise. And I said to him, you are so right about that. Because no human being ever convinces another human being that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. But in a beautiful miracle that can only happen by the initiative of God himself, he can enlighten your soul and turn the lights on and he will convince you that he is and that God is and that heaven is and that hell is. And when that happens, then, it, then it's going to be all different for you. I, if I were you and I had any inclination that way, I'd say, bring it on, Lord. Hey, listen, what's the greatest thing about heaven? Is it streets of gold? That'll be neat. Is it a perfect climate? That'll be good. Is it the, is it the worship team? It'll be quite a worship team. Huh? Even the Baptist hands will be in the air in heaven. I guarantee it. <laughs> I guarantee it. It will be on our face. Amen? And that'll be a wonderful thing about heaven. Streets of gold, gates of pearl. See my grandmas. See my grandpas. Oh, my goodness. I was saved at Evangel Baptist. No kidding. When was it? Oh, that was long before my time. I pastored that church for a while. Really? Yeah. Did you tithe? Yes. Good job. (laughs) Heaven. Can you imagine? But what is it that makes heaven heaven? Jesus makes heaven heaven. The presence of Jesus makes heaven heaven. If you really are born again, then there's a love for Jesus that when I say that, you say, yes, that's what makes heaven heaven. And heaven wouldn't be heaven if Jesus wasn't there. And what is it, my friend, that makes hell hell? Because Jesus' presence, his fellowship, that will not be a place where you can have fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's what will make hell. You say, are you saying that it's not a literal fire? I understand how that works. Obviously, something is different there. If Jesus, if God can make a flame that will not consume a bush, then he can make a flame that will not consume a body. The details, I leave them to God to work out. I trust him. But the worst thing about hell will not be the eternal conscious torment, suffering physically, though that will be true because that's the consistent message of the Bible. The worst thing about hell will be that he will say, there we will be punished with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. Second Thessalonians says that. This week as I was reading this, it hit me like it never had before that in Matthew 7, 23, Jesus will say to religious, some religious people, depart from me. Depart from me. He doesn't say right there, go, you're going to go to hell. He says, you're not going to get to be with me. That should horrify us. America's in trouble. You know that. But it would be in a lot worse trouble if it wasn't for the presence of the Holy Spirit in believers in this country. We don't know the horrors that will fall on a place without the Spirit withdrawn, the presence of Jesus, the Spirit withdrawn. We don't know the horrors that will befall that. 
The scriptures described in Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me. Romans 1 says, I gave them up, I gave them up, I gave them up. I believe in hell because the Bible teaches there is a hell and because Jesus taught there is a hell and because justice demands punishment for the unrighteous. Justice demands it. In other words, that's my third point. In other words, you think about this, the answer to the question this week, how could a loving God allow people to go to hell? It's the question this week is the answer for last week. Remember last week? We, last week we said, why would God who's all good, loving, and powerful allow suffering in the world? And the answer to that was because evil of sin. In other words, do you understand what, what's going on here? God says, don't come to any hasty conclusions. It's not over yet. There is heaven and there is hell. And, and the justice demand, of God demands punishment for the unrighteous. Hell is the answer to that question. Is In Ezekiel chapter 33, the scriptures say there in verse 11, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Jesus says, turn. That's what, what was it the rich man was saying in heaven? If you send a missionary, they will what? Repent. He knew it. He said, if my brothers could just repent, if my brothers could just repent, they wouldn't be in hell. You're sitting here in a pew today and have you repented? Have you turned from your sin to the Lord? Have you seen him in his glory? Have you seen your sin is ugly, black, dark, hopeless, binding as it really is, and the glory of God is wonderful as it really is. If you see the blackness of sin, the darkness of sin, the, the bondage of sin, and you see the glory of Jesus, you will not dare to say, how dare Jesus send people to hell. You won't say that. When a person says that, it is out of a root of rebellion in their heart. They're putting themselves up over God, saying that God's word is spoken, but I think I know better than God's word. Whether you realize it or not, that comes out of a rebellious heart. And in Ezekiel chapter 33, in this passage where he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I want them to turn and live. Over and over they say, it isn't fair, God. It isn't fair. And God says to them, don't tell me it isn't fair. You are not fair. Don't tell God he's unjust. That's basically the answer here. Our attitude toward hell reveals what we believe about sin. The fact that in our flesh we're tempted to charge God with unjust injustice and unfairness shows that we do not fully understand how vile that we are. And that's why in the New Testament, people that knew they were sinners were so much closer to the kingdom than religious people who didn't realize they were sinners. That's why our attitude toward hell reveals how we feel about sin and our attitude toward hell reveals how we really feel about God and about his righteousness. If we say that God is kind, good, benevolent, generous, and loving, but we're unwilling to say that he's just, then we have perverted God. I didn't watch this movie and I won't. I think it was called Stepford Wives. They say they made the women in this movie, they kind of did something to them. They chemically altered them or something so that they did exactly what they were told all the time. <laughs> you guys are afraid to say anything. And, and, and they, they, they made this movie up. They say, and, and in other words, instead of just having a real wife, she's got, she's what, exactly what you kind of made her to be. That is America's God is a Stepford God. That's what Timothy Keller says in his book I've been recommending. 
It's a God that they made up. Much of the evangelical church has kind of made up their own God. They've kind of like painted God in pastels. But he's not the God of the Bible. And that's not good. That isn't really ultimately merciful now, is it? My boy Kyle is saved. My boy Kyle is saved. The kid with his hand in the saying, my dad told me I was going to go to hell. Is it cruel to tell a child that if he grows up without Christ, he's going to go to hell? It's not cruel if you're going to tell him how to get to heaven. It's not cruel if he really is going to go to hell. It's not cruel at all. It's love. It's all love. It's all mercy. It's all mercy. It's all love. Anybody would do that. If there was a bridge out and you were driving toward that bridge and you were going to go off to your death and I said, well, I don't want to upset him, so I'm just going to kind of let him go and I'm not going to holler at him and I don't want him to think I'm a fanatic and I want my face to turn red and they're going to think I'm some kind of a religious weirdo and I'm not going to yell, no, throw yourself in front of the car if you have to. So my fellow there the other night, as he left, I thought to myself and I felt sad and kind of defeated when he said, you will never convince me of that. Part of my heart said, no, sir. In my heart, this dear man, I said, no, I thought to myself, no, sir, but you will now not be able to go to hell and say, nobody ever told you about it. You will not be able to go to hell and say, nobody ever warned you. My, my daughters went away and got involved in a revival, a visitation from God. You know what's interesting when they came home? They didn't want to talk about anything but Jesus. And their hearts were tender. They talked about sin. They talked about the Lord. They talked about the Bible. And you know what else they did? They, they thought about their aunt, their sweet aunt that they love. And she's kind of on and off and in and out. And she's a sweet girl. And we're, we're not confident. And she's not confident that she's in, in the Lord, in the faith. And so my daughters that night up in the bedroom, they got on the phone to their aunt, one at a time, just pleading with her. We love you. We love you so much. We don't want to, we don't want to be in heaven without you. It would be such a terrible thing. They had the reality of God on them. And so the first thing they did was they went home and they got on the phone and they talked to the people that they love. And when God, when the reality of heaven and hell and Jesus and God and the truth of the Bible is real to us, then we will call the people like our five brothers. We will send emails to people that we love. We'll send letters to people that we love. We'll think of creative ways to expose people to the gospel. Listen, before I quit, it's heaven for the righteous. The Bible says it's hell for the unrighteous. It's heaven for the righteous. It's hell for the unrighteous. I'll say something a little controversial. Stay with me. You ask me, do you believe in eternal security? I would say, yes, I believe in eternal security, but I don't usually call it that. I like it better. You know, others have said the perseverance of the saints. I like that better. It's a more accurate thing. People who really are believers, they will be marked by righteousness and they will carry through. It's not that they'll be perfect, but they'll be marked by righteousness because heaven is for righteous people who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's a corresponding righteousness that's, the, that's where the life is aimed. But if your life isn't aimed in that way and you're still in your sin, then you're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. That's what the Bible says for us to say to people. Hear, hear me now. And this is what the Spirit told my own heart this week. I, I, I'm the pastor. I mean, if he told me this, 
then I certainly could tell you, and you could examine yourself. It's heaven for the righteous. It's hell for the unrighteous. Nothing contributes to sobriety, the Bible so often commends, and the care and circumspection that the Bible so often commends, like the consideration of what the Bible teaches about hell. Those who are characterized by unrighteousness, self-righteousness, hypocrisy, lying, sexual sin, drunkenness, The Bible repeatedly says these will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That might be you today. That might be you today. The Bible repeatedly says they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm going to read you those verses. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 as an example. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's the positive way of saying they will go to hell. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators or idolaters or adulterers or homosexuals or sodomites or thieves or covetous or drunkards or revilers or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such, this is what the church was made up of. And such were some of you. And such were some of, I love that part. Can you tell I'm repeating that over and over? Such were some of you. But you are washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That can happen to you today, but not until you're willing to say, I am unrighteous and I am headed to hell without Christ. Galatians 5.19 says the same thing. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, they're evident, which are adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lewdness and idolatry and sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. This is where we're getting into some of the Baptist sins, amen? Amen. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries of partying, you know, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Listen, if you're more interested in partying and carrying on fornication, you're just explaining away the Bible to cover up for all your sin, then I warn you, you are not on your way to heaven, no matter if you're a card-carrying Baptist, you're not on your way to heaven, because the Bible teaches that believers are marked by the progression of righteousness in their life. I want to know, is that true about you? And if it's not true about you, well, get saved again then. Get saved again. Of course, you know, you only get really saved one time. You know what I'm talking about? My dad used to come home and say, that guy got a dose of real salvation. Well, there's no other kind of salvation than real salvation, but he meant they really got saved. Some of you, it wouldn't be just great if you said, you know, this religion thing is not working. Even a good, solid Baptist religion, it just isn't getting it. I think what I'm going to do is get saved. I'm going to throw myself on Jesus. I'm going to repent of my sin. I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner. And then, I'm, and, and then see if there isn't a huge change in your life. And your kids and your nieces and your nephews will be talking about you. That guy changed. It's my, my, I'm sorry about this. I, I, I'm carrying on here. My, my uncle, my wife's uncle got saved. Same thing. Like my uncle Bill hit, her uncle Boyd got saved. You cannot talk to him about anything but Jesus now. He won't do it. He goes to his hometown, and you'll see him walking up and down the streets in his little hometown in Campton, Kentucky, walking up and down the streets during a festival or something, and he will bump into people, and, he, and you know he's talking to them about the Lord. Sweetly, he will not talk about anything. He doesn't talk about the weather. He doesn't talk about sports. He just talks about Jesus. Listen, you, he changed. Did you change? Did you change? Ephesians 5 says, Neither filthiness or foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. If you made a step for God, you're on your way to hell. 
Revelation 21.8 says, The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable. You say, I'm not going to go forward today. That's scary. There isn't anywhere near as scary as hell. Cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. Ooh. That's scary, isn't it? Will have their part in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, Revelation 22. Outsider, dog, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Hypocritical Christians, you know, hypocrites, aren't going to hell. Why am I saying it like that? Do I not care? No, I'm saying it because I do care. What if I, what if I was your pastor and I told you like happy things all the time and you felt happy and religious and you went home feeling happy and you brought your friends to feel happy with you? And we had a whole big church of happy people until they go to hell. And then they say, that guy preached, he's called himself a Bible-believing pastor, Bible pastor, and I didn't get it. I just felt good when I left church, happy. Professing Christians need to think about hell. Christian workers need to think about hell. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, said, I wish that all my workers could go to hell for one hour. And they would never be the same. Our family and our friends and our neighbors need to know about hell. More than any other thing, to have a revival of the fear of the Lord in America, our nation needs to know about hell. What does our nation need more than any other thing? My friend Pete there, I was talking to him, he said, I don't believe in any politicians, man. I don't believe in any of them. They're all on the take, all of them. He said, he has no hope in politicians. I don't know about that, but I do, I, I personally, my hope is not in politicians. Statesmen might get my interest. Politicians, eh. Jesus, king of the universe, shoulders the government, him I trust. What does our nation need? Does it need bigger promises? Does the nation need bigger promises? It's like changing horses, man. We're still in the same, <laughs> still in the same rate. Psalm 9 and verse 17 says, The wicked will be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Can you please tell me that America is not a nation that is forgetting God? Can you please tell me, read any newspaper and tell me, I mean, hardened skeptic that you are. This guy, Pete, it was an unbeliever. He said, man, people are immoral. Pe- things are going down. I'm like, yeah, of course they 